Uh, last Sunday, I opened up Luke chapter 11, and let me unpack that just a little bit more. I want to take us on a journey through Luke, Luke 11, and I want to point out a few things in Revelation this morning as well. I'm in a three-week series called uh, Ecclesia, uh, Ecclesia. It's, it's the church. What is the church? And last week, we talked about the church, how we're a church that's been called out on mission. We celebrated all the mission efforts that have happened over the last uh, summer and what it means to live a life of mission no matter where we go. Luke chapter 10 is about mission trips. People are sent out, they come back, they celebrate what they have done. There's the Mary Martha story, there's the story of the Good Samaritan. And I led us last week, and in Luke chapter 11 verse 1, there's a request that's laid before the Lord. And the request is, Jesus teaches how to pray. And these are Jews asking this prayer. These guys had had prayer lives their entire lives. They knew how to pray. They had been taught how to pray in synagogue. They had grown up praying prayers over food. But there was something about the way, the way they saw Jesus praying that they wanted in on that kind of prayer and connection with God. I think it's important after all these mission trips that the request they lay before the Lord is not, Lord, teach us how to serve better or teach us how to risk our lives better. All those things play out throughout Scripture. But they come before Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. This is the request that you never outgrow in your life. I don't care how old you are. We never reach a point where we have learned everything there is about prayer. It's the request we continue to ask Jesus for. Jesus, the way you connected with your Father, teach us how to pray that kind of way. And Jesus taught him how to pray. Now, you can read this in greater detail in Matthew's version in Matthew chapter 6. But in Luke, he, he gives his version. And there are five things Jesus teaches. When he teaches people how to pray, he's like, hey, pray this way. And it's really what Jesus is saying is, hey, continually offer yourself up to God in this kind of way. First and foremost, holy is the name of God, and you need to acknowledge that in your prayers. Uh, if you're like me, sometimes I, I just I lay before the Lord, I guess what some people call like the Burger King prayer. So it's like, God, you know, I'll take the number three, but will you cut the lettuce and mayo, add some mustard to that? Now, some of us do this at fast food places because you know that this will make them cook something that may be a little fresher, right? If you can change up the order just a little bit, but we offer this up to God, like, God, cut this, add a little bit of that, and please deliver it really, really fast. We rub the genie and here comes out God and we offer up our few wishes. You acknowledge the holiness of God because if we're not careful what happens in prayer is what we want God to acknowledge us. When God is looking at us saying, hey, I acknowledge you, I care for you, but will you open up your eyes and the eyes of your heart to acknowledge me and everything I am, who I am, acknowledge God in His holiness. And then Jesus says, you pray for the kingdom to come. In Matthew chapter 6, the way Jesus taught people to pray was you pray for your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. I've had people come to me before and they've said, well, that prayer isn't something we still pray because the kingdom is the church and the church came in Acts chapter 2. I've had people try to explain to me before that the way kingdom works in the New Testament is that the kingdom is the church and the kingdom before Acts 2 is pointing to Acts 2 and after Acts 2 it's pointing back to Acts 2. And I've just had to tell those people, I love you, but you need to go read the Bible again because that's not how kingdom plays out. The kingdom isn't just the church. The kingdom is the reign of God. It's the fullness of everything Jesus is. It's what God is leading us to, the fullness of his kingdom. And Jesus teaches us to pray for your kingdom to come right here on earth as it is in heaven. This right here has revolutionized my prayer life in the last decade. It's given me way to, ways to pray and intercede for people. 
So when I'm praying healing over people in hospitals or even when people have cancer, I know that we pray and if people are healed on this side of eternity, the people are going to get sick again and they're going to die. Jesus didn't come to rid the world of disease 2,000 years ago. One day he will. But a lot of times my prayer is, God, I know that your kingdom and the fullness of your kingdom is a kingdom where bodies are made whole and bodies are set right and it's a cancer-free zone and I'm asking you to send a deposit of that into this person's future right now that your kingdom will come and make them well. It's given me a way to pray for those of you who deal with a lot of stress and you're crying out for peace in your life. Some of you on these cards, it was your prayer for us to be praying over you. You were overwhelmed, you were anxious, you're worrying, you're asking for the peace of God to come. And I know that in the kingdom, in the fullness of God's kingdom, there is no stress and anxiety. It is a stress-free zone. It's an anxiety-free zone. And I'm asking God to send that kind of deposit into your present right now. It's given me ways to pray for people who are struggling with relational dysfunction, whether it's in your marriage or between parents and children or siblings, that I know in heaven, in the fullness of God's kingdom, there's no relational dysfunction. It's a free zone of that kind of stuff. So I'm asking God to send a deposit into your life and your family systems right now. It's given me a way to pray for racial injustice for events that have happened over the last couple of days where you see white supremacy raise its face and literally this time not hiding behind masks or white capes but seeing faces of people whose hearts are full of bigotry and hatred. How do I pray in a time like this? Because sometimes what I struggle with is then I have hate in my heart towards people who have hate in their heart. I become prejudiced towards people who are prejudiced. And I want bad things to happen to people who are making bad things happen. What was so shocking about the last couple of days is sometimes we're told that when certain generations die out, the younger generation will be raised up and racism will fade away. There were a bunch of young dudes in that crowd a couple of days ago. There, there are things, if we're not careful, from one generation, we can lodge in the DNA of the next generation all kind of forms of anger and bigotry and hatred and cycles that have to be broken and can only be broken by Jesus. I struggle with people who have hatred and bigotry in their hearts on Friday, yet this morning some of those same people are in churches singing about the love of God and reading the same Bible that we're opening up today. How do I pray for them? And Jesus teaches us to pray in God's kingdom, in the fullness of his kingdom. It is a white supremacy free zone. It is a racial racism free zone. It's not going to exist there. And we need God to send forth deposits of that into our future right now. Then when we are looking at the face of Jesus and the face of the King of kings and the Lord of lords, when we are focusing our attention on him, he teaches his church what it means to be pro-life in every kind of way. That we value the life and dignity in every person. And for the church to learn to pray like Jesus prays, for your kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven, what it teaches the church is that there are a lot of these things that we don't just wait for one day. We are working towards them and we're asking God, don't just, it's not just that God is holding those things way over there and we're trying to get there. It's that we are moving and progressing to the fullness of God's kingdom and God's kingdom is moving and into our time right now, right? Your kingdom come right here on earth as it is in heaven.
You acknowledge the presence of God. We are asking for the future fulfillment and beauty and wholeness and harmony of God's future kingdom to come now. And then Jesus teaches us to pray that you will give us exactly what we need today. Give us the bread we need for today. It's Jesus' way of saying you can't get caught up in your life and worrying and so much anxiety because you can't change what happens tomorrow or 10, 20, 30 years from now. And when you get focused on all that stuff, you forget on what God is doing right in front of your face right now. Jesus teaches us to pray that God will forgive us our sins as we forgive others of theirs. I would have been fine if Jesus just said, forgive us of our sins. And then, but Jesus has to add, forgive us our sins just as we forgive others of their sins. The Amish community is a community that blows my mind when it comes to this. You remember a few years ago when that milk truck driver went into the Amish community and I think murdered, I can't remember if it was six or eight, young girls in a school classroom. And the news for 24 hours was about this massacre. But after that, the news, if you remember the headlines on papers and, and, and newspapers, the headlines, it was no longer about the people getting killed. It was, how can the Amish community forgive so quickly? And I remember there being reporters and journalists who were going into the Amish community, putting microphones in the faces of moms, dads, and grandparents whose daughters had been murdered, <laughs> asking them, how can you forgive so quickly? And their response was so simple yet so true. It was like, well, Jesus tells us to in the Lord's Prayer. Jesus just expected it would happen. That you ask God to forgive you your sins and you forgive others theirs. I know this is hard for some of you because you are holding on to things. People have betrayed you. They have done hurtful, awful things to you. And sometimes we offer forgiveness and we don't know if that's going to lead to someone else saying they're sorry or not. A lot of times forgiveness isn't just for the person that you are forgiving. It's for you to be released of any form of anger, hatred inside of yourself. And Jesus says, lead us not into temptation. To keep our eyes focused on wherever it is that God is leading. Uh, what I've come to in my own life and as I've been reflecting even on the life of this church, any faith community that cares about serving the world, which the Sycamore View Church cares about this. Any faith community that cares about reaching people for Jesus, which we are deeply concerned about. Any faith community that cares about doing something in the world to heal a racial divide, which our church cares about. And any faith community that cares about advocating for the fatherless, orphan, widow, or marginalized. Any faith community that cares about these things must be a prayerful, worshipful community. Because if we're not careful, what happens is we're like, man, let's get through the worship so we can go serve the world. And I think there was a time in a lot of, in, in some church traditions, where the worship hour became so sacred that the worship time and the Bible studies in the church became what church was all about. And there wasn't a focus on leaving and going out. But as we serve, we've got to be a worshipful, prayerful community because we're, if, if we're not, we forget who we serve. We forget that God is the one that we are serving, no matter what it is that we are doing. So before we get to our needs and our hurts and our habits and our hang-ups and our weaknesses, and we are praying about these things, we're acknowledging the presence of God, the holiness of God, how Jesus taught us to pray, and why this is so important for us, is we've got to have our face and our aim going in the right direction. Let me use this um, <laughs> uh, to, to help make this point. I don't really play golf. I swing clubs, all right? And for those of you in this room I've played golf with, I don't need an amen in this moment, all right? Um, 
I don't play much, and I'm not good, so golf for me is a social outing. But there are a lot of times I, I, I go and I play golf. Uh, sometimes I go. And I'll play with someone, and maybe they've played a course before. I played with my dad on vacation a couple of weeks ago. And there was a course we had played. And we stand up on the tee box, and my dad's like, all right, you see that third tree down there over the hill? You want to aim for the third one and try to draw it back in and land 20 yards to the left. And in my mind, what I'm thinking is, when I hit this ball off the tee box, my goal is to be able to find this ball so that I can hit it again. And I'm focusing, and I'm like, just relax, Josh, relax. Just hit this 90%. Just have a nice swing. And I will stand over the ball, and in my mind, just relax. Take it easy. And all the way to right here, I'm like, just relax. And something happens when I get to right here. I don't know if it's the Spirit of God breathing something through me, but there is this transformation in my body that goes from swinging 90% to all of a sudden gripping the club and hitting it with everything I have. And who knows where the ball goes? I just hope I find it again. When I'm putting it off, a lot of times I'm not putting even make it. I'm aiming for like a four-foot radius. And if I get it within that, will somebody have mercy on their preacher and just say, just go ahead and pick your ball up. You're fine, you know. But how many times in worship and prayer are we just throwing things up, hoping they get somewhere close in the proximity of God? Let's just go into a worship space, and maybe my worship today will just somehow get close to the presence of God. Or we're offering up prayers and we're really not sure where the prayers are going. And maybe some of you are very young in your faith and you're offering up prayers and you don't really know what to do or how to pray. God's grace is going to pull you in and help you progress. But sometimes what we do in our prayer lives, we're just throwing them up, hoping they land somewhere. And and what happens is we can become, we want to get close to God, but our focus isn't all the way on the throne room of God. That we want the things of God, but not God himself. Open your Bibles to Revelation. Let me walk you through a couple of things real quick. Revelation is a book that is so prevalent for us, I think, in our times. Because Revelation isn't just about the future. It's how the church exists and functions and loves God when your backs are against the wall. It's... What happens when the church, there's persecution, things in life are being turned upside down. Yeah, you are called to be on this mission where you're not disengaging from the world, you're engaging the world. There are three times in the book of Revelation where John the Apostle falls on his face in worship. Where he is on his knees before God in worship. I want to I show you all three of these. Um... Because to be a worshipful community and to lay before God, sometimes I hear people say, um, maybe you've heard people say, it's easy to worship God when you're on the mountaintop. It's harder when you're in the valley. I'm not sure how much the Bible would even agree with that statement, all right? Because so much worship that we have written in Scripture, like the Psalms, were written from the valley. And the valley's the place where we're crying out, where we're desperate, and we're just seeking the Lord in some kind of way. I think the hardest place to worship is not when you're on the mountaintop or in the valley. The most difficult is when you're just in that, that cruise in life where you, everything seems to just be clicking and going. Revelation helps us uh, with some of this. Look in Revelation chapter 1, verse 17. It's the first time you have John fall on his face before the Lord. And this is right after the description of this creature in heaven 
who um, is huge and has bronze feet and you have this sword coming out its mouth and you read this description, if you saw a painting of it, you would probably run in the other direction. And John encounters this creature, this being in Revelation 1. And in, in chapter 1, verse 17, it says, John falls down on his face as if he were dead. Throughout the book of Revelation, you have a lot of people on their face in worship. In fact, I believe this is correct. Every single time you have the word elders show up in Revelation, they are not on their feet. Elders are bowing before the Lord. They are before the throne of God on their faces, falling down before God in worship. And here's John on his face, thinking he's dead. I've engaged the presence of God. I'm not going to survive this. But what happens is so important to the rest of Revelation because some of you are scared of Revelation because you see a lot of these creatures and they scare you to death. In Revelation 1, you have this creature, sword coming out of his mouth. John falls down. But what happens is the creature reaches out his hand, touches John and says, don't be afraid. God wants you to fear him, but God does not want you to be scared of him. God is this being who is all powerful and all holy, yet people are coming into his presence because the blood of Jesus has given us this confidence. They're entering into his presence. This is the first time John falls on his face in worship. Let me fast forward to Revelation. Go to the very end of Revelation. Let me begin at the end of chapter 21. Here's the second time John falls on his face in worship. It's at the very end of the Bible. In Revelation 21, verse 22, it says, I saw in the temple, or I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God uh, Almighty and the Lamb. And <clears throat> the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God is its light. And its lamb is the lamb. It, its lamp is the lamb. Chapter 22, verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the middle of the lamb through the middle of the street of the city. And on either side of the river is the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit each month. And the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations. Somebody say, amen, please bring that guy. The leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations. Nothing accursed will be found there anymore. Nothing will be cursed but the throne of God and the Lamb will be on it and His servants will worship Him and they will see His face and His name will be on their foreheads in some kind of way. Maybe it's God's permanent tattoo in Revelation 21, 22, 20, uh, verse 4. And there will be no more night. They need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. And He said to me, these words, I think referring to all of Revelation, these words are trustworthy and true. For the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angels to show his servants what must soon take place. And see, I'm coming soon, and blessed is the one who keeps the words of his prophecy of this book. So there, there's this scene that is created of the city that is coming down from God, the city that is made whole. Now, here's where I got to confess, all right? Because I've taught for years that the first two chapters of the Bible, Genesis 1 and 2, are about perfection and harmony and unity and that nothing's wrong. And I've also taught that Revelation 21, 22 is a return to the garden where, everything, where there's harmony and perfection and wholeness and all things have been set right. And then in Revelation 21, 22, nothing's wrong. But I'm wrong in that. Because here's John's worship. Look at this. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. And he said to me, you must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your comrades, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. You need to worship God. The last chapter of the Bible is about a person who loves God 
and is doing everything he can in worship because maybe he thinks it's right, but it's misguided worship. His heart's not aligned. He's falling down, and the command is, hey, dude, you got to stop that. You need to turn your gaze to the face of God, not to my face, because you aren't called to worship the things of God or the messengers of God. It's that you worship God. And we got to be careful because it becomes too easy in our churches sometimes to worship worship more than we're worshiping God. The flavors, the styles. I preached at a church in grad school that went through a church split back in the mid-90s. And one of the primary reasons people split off from that church is because there was swaying during a couple of the songs in church. It was a, it was a white church, all white people, so it's not like there was much rhythm there, Okay. But it was this right here. And there were people that were like, we know this slippery slope. You start moving left or right, next thing we're going to have snakes in church, right? Sometimes we can worship, worship more than we worship God. We can worship the things of God. Sometimes we can become more concerned about who we worship with than who we are worshiping. There were times in college when we would sit around and we were like, who's going to 9 o'clock Devo? And if no one else was going, then I may not go. Who else is going to worship? Can I sit with you? Do you want to sit with me? Who am I going to sit with in worship? And we get more focused on who we worship with than who we're worshiping. Sometimes worship becomes boring. It can feel boring. I've heard parents sometimes say, my kids are so bored in church. And I've tried to find a gracious way to respond to say, how do your kids see you behaving in church? Because there are some kids who may be bored in church, but all they seen from their parents is boredom in church all their lives. With no anticipation in their own lives of how they're going to connect with God, meet with God. There's no uh, talking about how they've encountered God in worship space, what they learned, how Jesus is growing them. They're, we can worship the things of God. We can worship worship. We can worship all these other things and miss out on, on God. Jesus was asked in John chapter 4 by a Samaritan woman. He was once asked, Jesus, what is the right time and place and style and flavor of worship? And Jesus' response was this, the kind of worship that God seeks is worship that is in spirit and truth. And it's not here the Holy Spirit. It's that your spirit is connecting with the spirit of God and that you're worshiping in truth. So the last time in Revelation 22 that John falls before the Lord is a way, or falls in worship, is somebody telling him, you are not worshiping correctly. You need to align yourself in the right kind of way. And let me show you the other one. Revelation chapter 19. This is the second time John fell on his face in worship. In verse 9 it says, And the angel said to me, Write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he added, these are true words that come from God. And then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said, no, don't worship me. I'm a servant of God, just like you and your brothers and sisters who testify about their faith in Jesus. Two of the three times John falls on his face in worship, there's a messenger of God who has to tell him to stop it. Because you're not guided and your heart is not, your face is not focused in the right direction. And here it's worship only God. And I love this. For the essence of prophecy is to give a clear witness for Jesus. That the essence of prophecy and why we worship and why we pray is to give witness to Jesus. 
how you worship God in this space and how you worship God in other areas of your life are bearing witness to what you think about Jesus, to how your affections are being stirred, to where your allegiance is. So if we want to be a church that cares about serving the 38134 and the 901 and our strategic partners, we've got to be a worshipful, prayerful community who's coming together, elbowing one another, nudging one another, saying, hey, let's make sure our focus, our face is directed to God because he's the source of all of life, everything we do. And if we're not focused on him, why would God bless any of our works, right? I remember the, the story that came from Matt Redmond's church, worship pastor, worship minister out of part of the uh, passion group. He's written a lot of stuff we sing. And there was a time, and this was probably 15, I don't know, 20 years ago, that in their church, they had gotten so caught up in worship, the lights, the show, the experience. People were leaving, and it was more about how do you feel than how did you encounter God? And their pastor stood up in front of the church and said, over the next few weeks, we're not going to sing. Because our singing has become something that doesn't please the heart of God. They stopped worship. They stopped that, that form, that expression of worship in their church. And they entered into a time of reflection and reading the Bible and be reminded on who God is, His character, His nature, reflection, um, silence. And then Matt Redman wrote a song. And the song he wrote that called these people back into worship after a time of silence and reflection and trying to align themselves again was a song about coming back to the heart of worship. When the music fades and all is stripped away and I simply come, longing just to bring something that is of worth that will bless your heart. I'm going to bring you more than a song. Because it's not just the song that God requires. It's something so much deeper than that. I'm bringing you my heart. God's asking for, for our hearts, everything we are. And we're coming back to the heart of worship. So I threw a curveball to Kip and the praise team this morning. I said, man, the Lord's kind of led this sermon in a way. Here's how I want to end. And Kip was like, we got that song. We're going to sing it. So we're about to sing a different song than what's in your worship order. And as we begin to sing this song... I invite you maybe to close your eyes, open up your hands, and just receive from the Lord where you are, and then join in at a time when you want to join in, but receive this from the Lord. I want to ask right now, though, will our shepherds and the prayer leaders go to the places where you are? Because every Sunday we provide six, seven, eight places throughout this space for you to go to people. Maybe your heart needs to be aligned. Maybe there are things that today you, you feel Feel you're welcome to put prayer cards in some of our prayer baskets and we can pray over them. But sometimes we need to be in the presence of a prayer warrior saying, here is what's going on in my life. I need you to pray for the kingdom of God to come right here in my heart and in this situation just like it is in heaven. So we invite you to find one of these spaces. And up here to my right is Brian Burwell, one of our shepherds. We invite you to come if there's something you want to share with this church or if this is a day where someone wants to swear their allegiance to Jesus to confess him as Lord, to be baptized into Christ. We invite you to come. Join Brian and myself. We're up here to receive you. Can we stand where we are? And I invite you in this song, if you're willing, if you're comfortable, just open up your hands where you are to receive from the Lord. And let's uh, lift this up to God.